Turn in our Bibles to Acts 2. We'll be reading verses 1 through 16. And our text for today is verses 3 and 4. Acts 2, starting at verse 1, the word of the Lord. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And here's the words of our text. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all those who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And then Peter continues by quoting from the prophecy we just read from Joel and calling on the people that are before him to believe in Christ and to be baptized. Beloved in the Lord, on the day of Pentecost, following our our Savior's death and resurrection, Following his ascension, the fact that God accepted him as an acceptable sacrifice, God accepted him as as the righteous man who would stand in for us, for you. Following that, the dam bursts. God pours out his spirit. In the past, God has channeled his love through the nation of Israel in order to bring the salvation of his son into the world. He has consistently shown his grace to this people through the institution of the tabernacle and the temple. He has used these to give a small measure of the Spirit to prophets, priests, and kings, particular people in Old Testament society to guide these prophets, priests, and kings in demonstrating the justice and mercy of God to his people. 
Now the dam bursts. Christ has entered into the highest heaven and has opened a new and living way for the people of God. Christ has created a a channel from heaven to earth where the Spirit can flow freely upon His church and give them strength in spreading the gospel. Those words that the Spirit works in us, we see that in our text, the Spirit is actually working different languages in the mouths of those who profess Him. Those words that He works in us, He uses for the softening of the hearts of those whom God has chosen before the foundation of the world. It's fitting that He uses the day of Pentecost, the day where Israelites celebrate the first of their fruits they have received from God. These men who receive the Spirit of God on that day are God's first fruits, the first fruits of the resurrection of Christ but the first fruits of a harvest that will fill the whole earth. The dam has burst. We are now the church of God filled with the fire of the Spirit of God. We share in the Spirit of Christ. We have received the Spirit. Let us now seek the Spirit with all our might. Here's the catechism on the gift of the Spirit. God will give His grace and Holy Spirit only to those who constantly and with heartfelt longing ask Him for these gifts and thank Him for them. We're called to seek that Holy Spirit even as we receive it, even as we seek to discern the needs of the kingdom of God. It all begins with Christ's gift of fiery baptism on the day of Pentecost. I bring you the word of the Lord under the theme Christ baptizes his church with fire. First of all, we're going to see the totus Christus, and I'll explain to you what that means in a moment. Second, prophetic ordination. And finally, the sign of God's verdict. So the totus Christus. One thing we need to learn while reading the Bible is to read it in light of the totus Christus. The totus Christus was a term used by Augustine to describe how he would read the Bible. It means the whole Christ. The whole Christ is not just Christ the person, but the body of his Christ, or the body of Christ, his church. That means that what is said of Christ is also said of his church. This is because the church is in Christ and bears Christ before the world. We rightly confess that Christ is the last and the final word of the fullness of the revelation of Scripture. All Scripture speaks of Christ, prophesying of him, telling of his time here on earth and his work right now as he is seated at the right hand of God and his future coming. We know that as we read the Bible, it's a book that is about Christ. But the revelation of Scripture doesn't end there because the revelation of the head, Christ, leads to the revelation of the body, the church. We might say God reveals his his groom in the Gospels, and he reveals the groom's bride in the book of Acts. Just as God formed Eve out of Adam's ribs, so God forms a body out of Christ's side. So we have 
the totus Christus, the whole Christ, both head and body. We need to keep that in mind here as we read about the act of Pentecost. We heard John the Baptist's words, the promise that the one who came after him would baptize with fire and the Holy Spirit. When Jesus himself is baptized by John, he already begins to transform that baptism. Immediately following Christ's baptism, God gives him the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We read that in Luke 3. Now, at Pentecost, Christ shares that spirit with his disciples, baptizing them in a new form, in the form of tongues of fire. We read in Acts 2, verse 3, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. God's teaching us something by this imagery. He could have signified the Spirit in the way we receive the sign of the gift of the Spirit through baptism. But God chooses this way of revelation in order to teach us about how the church fulfills the mission of Christ, how the church exercises its identity as the body of Christ. We have a hint in the theophanies of the Old Testament. A theophany is a revelation of God through something physical, like the fire that's descending on the people of God in our passage. Theophany happens when God uses wind or fire or a cloud in order to manifest his power and glory to his people. We have a theophany at Mount Sinai where God appears in a whirlwind before the people of God. Similarly, we have a theophany when God descends on the tabernacle in a cloud of glory. And we think about those theophanies in the Old Testament. We see this theophany here. We see something. The church gathered here is a new tabernacle chosen through Christ and by faith in Christ able to be vessels for the glory fire, the glory cloud of God. Remember what happened in the Old Testament when they had the glory cloud of God come upon the temple or upon the mountain? Nobody dared come near it. But now Christ, who was the image of the glory of of the Father, who had the Father and the Spirit dwelling in him, shares that temple, that tabernacle nature with us. Christ is the tabernacle, the temple of God, and so we are the tabernacle, the temple of God. Together, this, again, is the totus Christus. We, the church of God, have received and share in all the benefits that Christ has received from God the Father. Not only is the church a temple of the Lord, but we see here that each individual in the church of Christ becomes an altar before the Lord. Just as God, showing his favor to various persons in the Old Testament, brings down fire on various altars, we can think particularly of the sacrifice that Elijah prepared in confronting the priests of Baal. 
you remember the story, Elijah made a sacrifice, and the priests of Baal made a sacrifice. And the challenge was, whose God would provide the fire? In the end, it was Yahweh who brought down the fire. So just as God brings fire down on various altars in the Old Testament, so now he lights the hearts of his people with his Holy Spirit, so that we too become altars, living sacrifices before God. Our sacrifice of praise is worked in us by the Spirit. It's given to us in Christ. In turn, we present that offering before God. In Romans 12, Paul tells the Christians of Rome, present your body as a living sacrifice. That means we offer ourselves up in worship as the very vessels of the Spirit that are described in this passage. We offer ourselves up so that we're not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewal of our minds. There's a call here to complete submission to the will of the Spirit, to seek the Spirit in all things. God has poured out His Spirit upon you, the church of God. Something you share with your Lord Jesus Christ. So having that spirit, do you present every member of your being as a vessel for his will? Is this your hope? Or do you reserve reserve some portion of your vessel, your body, for your own lusts or your own desires? Do you really seek the will of God with all your might so that you plead for God to indwell every corner of your being? That's the gift that God offers. So that you may have the fullness of the Spirit and the fire of the Lord in all of your life. If not, the call is to seek the kingdom of God, to seek the Spirit. Like the man of the parable who sought for the pearl of great price. He spent years and a fortune on a pearl of great price. God wants that same desire in us, seeking for the kingdom of God. And this This Pentecost Sunday, this pouring out of the Spirit, is where it gives us the gifts so that we're able to do that. He creates in us that willingness and and that ability to do that. God will, he promises, reward those who seek him with his good gifts. Brings us to our second point, prophetic ordination. Before we look at verse 4, let's go back to the beginning of verse 3. Notice the word divided at the beginning of the sentence in verse 3. Divided tongues. The word tells us two different things. First, this fire has one source, Christ and His Father. Second, this fire goes to every individual so that each individual in the church is now an altar before God. In the Old Testament, this fullness of the Spirit only belonged to special individuals in society, prophets, priests, and kings. (coughs) Particularly emphasized in Acts 2 is the prophetic nature of these individuals. Those who receive the fire of the Spirit begin to speak in various tongues, 
We're told they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The tongues are a sign of the Holy Spirit's presence. Now, we need to be careful here because tongues are not a necessary sign of the Spirit's presence. That's a mistake Pentecostals make. They argue that the Spirit's presence, the special gift of the Spirit, necessarily produces tongues. And that's not true. These tongues are for this time. They're a sign of a new beginning for God's church. As we said at the beginning, it is a sign that the dam of God's grace has burst open, allowing for every individual among the people of God to be filled with the Spirit. The sign doesn't need to be repeated because God has shown His definite favor toward His church. We know. We have this report. We have the Scripture now. It doesn't have to be repeated. The sign demonstrates further that God has established a new prophetic community. Again, not in, the, not in the sense that we still need to speak in tongues today, but in the sense that we now are called to speak the Word of God. And we have the Spirit to strengthen us in that. Notice a couple things. First, as already mentioned, the fire of the Spirit falls upon each and every individual. Just as the Spirit came upon Christ, so the Spirit comes upon every individual person in His church. The Spirit came upon Christ in order to prepare Him for His ministry of prophecy. Christ quotes Isaiah in Luke 4, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The same Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, descends on the church and prepares them for that same ministry, that announcement of good news to the poor, of liberty to captives. In the book of Numbers, Numbers 11, Moses chooses 70 elders to help in ruling over the people. Every one of these elders receives a portion of his spirit. There's a little story right at the end of that story. So there's this picture here, Moses and the 70 elders, and we can see the connection to Christ and his church. But there's a little story at the end of, of this story. There's two men in the camp who receive a portion of the Spirit and prophesy. They aren't among the 70 elders. They're just regular guys. Joshua is concerned about this prophecy and speaks of it to Moses. And Moses then gives this prayer. Would that all the people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And now, God has answered that prayer. Now all the people are prophesying. As Joel said, your young men and your young women shall prophesy. The church has become a prophetic community the, church, the Spirit working in each individual so that they speak in other languages. Now we don't experience the sign of, again, we don't experience the sign of speaking in tongues anymore, but the reality that it points to is no less real. 
And we can think of how that work of speaking in other tongues continues through missionaries, pastors, learning other tongues to bring the gospel to other languages all around the world. Still, we see here that we're all prophets empowered by God on the mission of God. The Spirit is the sign that the church is ordained to bring the good news just as Jesus was empowered by the Spirit to bring the good news. That means every church is called to be a mission church. And that begins with Individuals in the church learning, praying, seeking the advocacy of the Spirit in their lives, seeking to live as models of the kingdom. Now, of course, this, mean, this needs to be understood within God's timing. Just like the individual, a given local church, goes through certain stages as it learns from its past, as it looks to its future, as it seeks to encourage love in the body of Christ, and as it seeks to reach out to its community. And it's also important to add here that this does not mean that every person in the church is to be a carbon copy of one another. We're not all doing exactly the same thing in the mission of God. As Paul makes clear in 1 Corinthians, we're a body and we support one another in developing the gifts that the Spirit has given. Sometimes, however, we can use Paul's teaching that we're a body as an excuse not to continue to develop ourselves, to develop our gifts through the Spirit. We can use Paul's teaching as an excuse to coast. I do my bit for the church and that is good enough. We ignore the calls to growth and maturity in the same Spirit. There's a balance to be reached here, and we learn that balance through the encouragement of the body and through the call of Scripture and the Spirit week by week, day by day. Another thing to notice here is how the Spirit is using other languages to declare the message of the gospel. There is no room, especially after Pentecost, for teaching in one particular language, for teaching that one particular language best brings the message of the gospel to the peoples of the earth. Here at Pentecost, God sanctifies the languages of the earth so that they may be used for the message of God. God has already given a suggestion of this truth by ordaining that parts of the Bible be written in Aramaic rather than Hebrew. This is even more evident now that the Spirit has come and the disciples take the hint and write the documents of Christ and his teaching in Greek. That's why our New Testament is in Greek. We can then categorically reject any type of teaching that glorifies a certain type of language or dialect as particularly suited for the spread of the gospel or for teaching the gospel. The thrust here, the thrust is toward a kingdom that spreads over the whole earth. Think of the rock that is hewn out not by human hands, in Daniel 2. That rock becomes a mountain that fills the whole earth. And here, in our passage, God establishes the prophetic ministry that will bring that kingdom about. And we, as the church here in, in Winnipeg, Redeemer Church, 
we're inheritors of that prophetic ministry in our own city. God declares by these divided tongues, by these tongues that every individual is speaking, He declares that every member of that kingdom is a member of that prophetic ministry. That brings us to our third point, the declaration of God's verdict. It's in this moment that God gives his verdict over his church. God gave his verdict over his son. He accepted his sacrifice on the cross through his resurrection. He set his son down at his right hand. And now God says, all those people who believed in the promises that my son gave to them, all those people, they now have a favorable verdict as well. They now may have the benefits that I gave to my son. Just as he said of his son, already in his ba- at, at, at his son's baptism, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So now he is saying over his church, these are my children in whom I am well pleased. And pouring out the Spirit on his church, God shows that he is pleased with the death, resurrection, and ascension of his son. The son has provided full atonement a full cleansing for the people of God. Because of that gift, God is pleased with his people. And he gives them a powerful sign of his pleasure in them. And that powerful sign is accompanied by a powerful spirit that now may dwell in us because we have been cleansed by Christ. It's a sign that's both already and not yet. It declares that God is for them now, that they already enjoy eternal life now. It also declares that by Christ's work, they will receive a favorable verdict on the day of judgment, that future day of judgment as well. Remember again the totus Christus. What is spoken over Christ is spoken over his church. What belongs to Christ belongs to his church. We, the church, will be able to bear the fire of God, the fire of the judgment of God, because of Christ's cleansing. In Christ's cleansing, every single individual Christian who confesses Christ as Lord is a fit vessel for the fiery Spirit of God. That, too, is is why we can have hope and joy as we look toward the final judgment. This fiery sign turns into a watery sign in the church of God. But we do not need to doubt that the fire is still there. That the Spirit, through faith, still works in us that pleasing sacrifice that He calls us to offer in Romans 12. The whole scene, the wind, the speaking in tongues, the fire that comes down, This causes fear and consternation in all the Jews that are streaming to look in to see what is happening. And rightly so. They have crucified the Lord of glory. 
Now God has demonstrated that he has chosen to work through the church. And God gives the opportunity for repentance in the sermon of Peter in the rest of chapter 2. The sermon is, called, is followed by the call of Peter. Believe and be baptized and you will receive the Holy Spirit. You may have this Holy Spirit. You may have this baptism of fire. This cry goes out to the Jews. They are to show their repentance before God and join the new Israel, the new kingdom, which God is creating out of His Holy Spirit. But this cry to believe and be baptized goes far beyond the Jews. The disciples will learn that throughout the book of Acts. But the sign is already there at Pentecost. As we said already, God gave the sign of speaking in tongues, suggesting that every tongue is worthy of bearing the gospel message, but also suggesting that the cultures that were formed by and produced those tongues are worthy of grafting into the new Israel, the kingdom of God. So this call to repent, believe, and be baptized goes out to all men. It's a universal call to you who have failed in living in the Spirit, to you who live ugly, wicked lives, to you who know nothing of Christ. Christ's death is universal. It's a propitiation, a mercy seat, a place of refuge for the sins of the entire world. Any man may leave behind his sins and seek the cross of Christ. Come, by the power of the Spirit, we offer the same message that Christ offered. Good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind. Come, and you too will become a fit vessel for God's fire. All glory be to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.